get your car washed because it's probably dirty right now. Whether it's you know washing all the germs out, you want to get obviously the germs out of your car, but also you want it to look really nice. Go to Tommy's Express Car Wash. It's wash, rinse, repeat with Tommy's. And guess what? They have an app. It's the Tommy Club app. So download it. I know you have a smartphone, so you're going to be able to download apps. You don't have a flip phone if you're listening to this podcast. I'm just assuming that. And if you do, more power to you. But if you do, then you're missing out on this great deal. Because if you download the Tommy Club app today, you're going to enjoy endless washing for one low price. Endless washing for one low price at Tommy's Express Car Wash. That's unlimited car washes, unlimited clean, shiny, and dry. Unlimited use of exclusive app lane at Tommy's. Unlimited access to all the Tommy's locations. And there are a lot of them. Unlimited guest service. Most importantly, unlimited happiness. That's a Tommy's Express Car Wash. We got a lot of different things coming at you today, okay? And I'm just sensing a little bit of a lull right now. F- that. You don't got time to say. All right? Let's go. Break it. Break it. Let it cross. Woo! Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story. And I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Derek Johnson on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Hey, welcome into another edition of Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Jesse Newell of the Kansas City Star joins us in about 35 minutes from right now. New co-host alert here on RCST. Adam Dravetta now joins me in the RCST studio. So, Adam, just for people to get to know you, what is your deepest, darkest secret right off the bat? I think we should probably establish that, and then everything's easy from there. Well, um, my deepest, darkest secret, goodness, that's tough. Uh, I don't view K-State as KU's biggest uh, mm. rival. I'm, I'm of the age where it's still Missouri <laughs> for me. So I that may be, as far as the people listening, that may be what they care most about. Mm. Uh, there's some... Things that I, you know, ongoing investigations I can't can't comment on. Yeah, we don't want to get probably, you in legal trouble. Those are probably a little darker, but and, and as far as that goes, that seems to be the thing that sets me apart from a lot of KU fans. I I had a my oldest sister uh, who so some backstory for me. My neither of my parents went to college uh, until they were older. So all of us kids, we were the first generation of our family to go to college. And so my oldest sister was the first one, so she went to K-State. And that was when K-State was really humming along in football um, with Michael Bishop and those guys. So I've always, my whole life, cheered for KU over K-State. But when K-State's not playing KU, I actually Whoa. I don't I don't have any hatred toward them. All right, like, we got too deep. We got too dark. So, yeah, so that's to me it's always been the Tigers that I hate the most. Mm. Um that may be the one that people care most about. That's that okay. that that's a weird one that a lot of people. Uh, I like beating K State. I was expecting you to say something like I don't know, I pee sitting down or something like that. But instead, we got a we got a K State secret, which no. is honestly worse. Yeah, it might be yeah, worse. Yeah, it might be. So he's Adam Dravetta. You're going to hear his voices uh, or voice on the show uh, coming days, coming weeks, a lot here on RCST. I don't know if you saw this, but there was a over under win total released for. The regular season plus the postseason for college basketball teams. And this is with win bet in Kansas City 
or in Las Vegas. And the over-under for... Be sweet if we had one of those in I know, Kansas right? City. Maybe one We wouldn't day. have to drive to Iowa. Right. And it's 28 and a half for KU, which, again, includes postseason games. If you weren't including postseason games, that would be a pretty tough result to get to. KU plays 31 games in the regular season, which we've seen some pretty incredible Bill Self teams in the regular season, but that would still be asking a lot. That seems like a pretty doable number to me mm-hmm. for KU basketball this year. I went through their their conference schedule, of course, is 18 games. Their non-con is 13. And Bill Self, usually since this uh, round robin, since this double round robin has been going on, you can almost guarantee in Big 12 media days every year, Bill Self will say he thinks 14-4 and four gets you at least a tie for the league title. <laughs> yeah. That's just, that's something he said almost every fall. So we'll take that fourteen and four, and then if they go eleven and two, and Which, with this with this non-con, right? I there would be I would think if they go eleven and two with their with this non-con, there would be at least one loss that you're kind of going. They probably should have won. Yeah, let's let's go over that non-con real quick. They got Michigan State. Michigan to start State, it all out. which that's. You never know how that first game is going to go. KU will be favored. I don't even know if Michigan State's going to be ranked. I, that was I, the last. That was the last team KU was able to beat in the in the Champions Classic. It took them till 2018. And so yeah, they've they've had issues with them, and, and just you figure the program. Tom Izzo will get it right. So who knows? That could be a losable game. Tarleton State and Stony Brook, not expecting a loss. Yeah. Uh, the ESPN Events Invitational is interesting. North Texas, who you get in the first game, won a NCAA tournament game last year. Then you'd get either Dayton or Miami who Dayton's been a solid program. Miami under Jim Laranega has kind of fallen off the last couple of years, but uh, typically they have potential. That final game is the one that you'd circle. You could face Belmont or Drake or Rick Patino and Iona, but you're circling Alabama, and that could be a top-10 team. So that would be the other one that you'd point to the most and probably say that could be a loss. And then you get out of that at St. John's, which is always tough to play on the road. We've seen that kind of bite KU in some of these non-con and that's games. and one thing I'm I'm glad about I don't know how KU other your standard KU fan feels about that I'm thrilled that that's on campus I know there was talk Madison about Square it Garden. being Madison Square Garden and that's fine Madison Square Garden is a great venue I went there to see uh, Frank Mason yeah, knock KU off Duke. Duke in 2000 the 16 17 season it's an amazing venue. But I love college basketball games on campus, and I, you know, St. John's is one of those classic schools from back east. Uh, a lot of big names in their history. I'm that that's fun, and it that will be a tough game. But I'm really happy they're keeping that on campus. Yeah, and that's that's just a losable game because it's you know it's on the road. This is college basketball. Who knows what what if it's like a 11 a.m. game or something like that on, on the East Coast where you're not totally awake. Neutral against UTEP, I think they'd be fine, but. Almost lost to UTEP at Allen Fieldhouse last year, and that That's is right. the dreaded Kansas City. Is UTEP is in Kansas City, yeah, the, right? The, I almost called the Sprint Center, the T-Mobile Team, Center yeah. game, which is oddly a game that Kansas. Some, I mean, there's, there's, I, I'm sure, I'm sure they've had less trouble there than I than I'm remembering. Mm-hmm. But for whatever reason, it's the difficult to games, expectations. Yeah, the def, right. the difficult games always stick out. I think Washington got them. In uh, like 2015 or something like no, that. No, that was 2018. That was the team was that, made that, the final that made four. the final four. Yeah, the Davis because they loss. because everyone was talking about how well they handled the zone against Syracuse mm-hmm. in Miami <laughs> earlier that season. Then they show up in Kansas City against uh, Washington, uh, the team that went to the. This is we're getting back into 
nine or ten years ago now, but the team with Thomas Robinson that went to the Final Four lost to Davidson at the Sprint Center. Uh, there was a game where Kansas was up against, I think, Utah mm-hmm. by about 25 at one point. Yeah. And then, that was a good Utah and the, team. And but. then Utah came back and got it within three. Kansas still came in with the win. So that's a weird one. I don't know if it's just because it's early in the season. They're still getting the kinks worked out. I don't know if it's because it's the first. Of course, it wouldn't be the first time they're playing in an arena because they're playing in an arena at, uh, excuse me, I just hit the microphone. I hope you all didn't hear that. But um, they're playing in an arena against Michigan State, but for whatever reason, that Sprint Center game or the T-Mobile, that, I'm just going to be. I know. I, everybody I, I knows still, what it is. That right? place, that amphitheater in Bonner Springs, I still call <laughs> Sandstone. So I, it's going to be tough to get used to. But anyway, um, so that that's not, you know, like you said, they, they struggled with them last year. Um, a big thing, man, about this as a whole, and this is going to come up in non-con, there's so much talent on this team. But how long is it going to take for yeah. them to gel? Yeah, because I mean, ten new players. You don't know what the rotation is going to be. It's experienced talent. Mm-hmm. It's it's a little different than having a hyper, uh, you know, a hyper uh, talented freshman class that's playing college ball for the first time ever. This team has a lot of college experience individually, whether it be from Drake or Arizona State or wherever. But they don't have a ton of experience uh, together. At least a lot of them between Yasufu and, and Remy Martin and um, and those guys. So that's going to be a point of interest. If they if something comes up, I think that could be an issue. Um, yeah, I mean, maybe this is one of those years where you drop like the game at Colorado mm-hmm. and you get scared by Harvard at home in, in that game that's during winter break. And maybe you do lose at St. John's or you get upset by Michigan State, you lose the Alabama game, and you're starting in the non-con going, yeah, this is still clearly a talented team. But maybe it just doesn't come together till conference play. Yeah, and weird things happen. I mean, it you know the again a little different, but the the Wiggins Embiid squad, you know, they were until Embiid got hurt, they were kind of rolling toward a one seed. But that team's non-con was left a lot to be desired. They lost to Villanova, who that was before Villanova became what we know them to be now. Uh, they lost at Colorado. They lost at Florida. They lost at home against San Diego State. So the point is. This team has more experience than that team, but they don't have as much experience playing together, mm-hmm. and that could come up. But back to the over/under, if they go fourteen and four in, in conference play, and they go eleven and two, they're sitting at twenty-five wins. That would mean a trip, a trip to the Big Twelve final. Win basically, if you win the Big Twelve tournament, you win your first round game. Yeah, you're, you're over. there. Mm-hmm. And so, I, I, my immediate thought is. Probably yes, because if they make the Big 12 finals, they've played 34 games. And so are they going to be sitting? I, I can't, you know, 29 and 5 would be. I mean, if they're, if they're 29 and 5 at the end of the Big 12 tournament, barring something insane, they're going to be a one seed. So, you know, and I'm not saying that's what's going to happen, but I'm just saying if it, it may take, if it doesn't take any NCAA tournament games to get there, then they're going to have. Yeah, twenty nine of their first thirty four. They'll be twenty nine and five, which will be. I'll be really excited. I think all fans would take that. Well, I think it comes down to like if you think this team is good enough, which a lot of people do, to get a one seed this mm-hmm. year, then you're probably something like twenty nine and five. Yeah, or, or, or you're twenty. Be. You know, you're twenty eight and right. and six. Where you just need but you're playing. Win. You're playing a mm-hmm. sixteen seed, which we know can be. You know, we've seen at least it's possible. But point is. 
you know, if you're, if you're, the big question will be is, is I kind of ironically, the, the deeper they have to go in the tournament to get this, That's the, 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 lo- the worse yeah. their seed's going to be. Right. So if they're sitting at, you know, 24 wins and, you know, going into the NCAA tournament, that means they'd have to make it to the national title game. And if they're sitting at 24 wins going into the tournament, that means they're going to be about a four seed or a three seed maybe. So that it's weird. If they're sitting as a one seed, which preseason, most preseason publications have them anywhere from second to fourth. I think most publications have Gonzaga as the clear number one. And then there's kind of a cloud of two through five that KU is a part of. And if they hang in that, then you're looking at probably – 27 wins at least by the end of the Big 12 tournament. Well, and and the big thing for me is forget the 28 and a half to get to 29. Let's just say, can it be a 30-win season? And I think KU? it can. I, I think it can, too. And when you look at some of Bill Self's best teams, they easily clear those marks. So 2007, you win 33. 2008, 37. 2010, 33. 2011, 35. 2012, 32. 2013, 31. 2016, 2017, 2018, you all cleared the 30 mark. I'm not saying this is going to be the best team that Bill Self has. It might not even be a top five team that Bill Self has. But if it's in that same stratosphere, he hasn't had an issue with those teams getting to 30 wins. And for and, what it's worth, 2020 didn't get a chance to play in the Big 12 tournament. Yeah, they would have they got had, there. They had, 28, yeah. they had 28 wins. They were 28-3 and three coming yeah, down the they stretch. They would have got there with the Big 12 tournament if they just Yeah, they would, if they would have won their quarterfinal game. game. Well, and here's what else. If, if you look at seasons that Bill Self has had 29 or more wins, so if we do go to what the over-under is at 28 and a half, he has had 29 or more wins in nine of his last 15 seasons. So that's, that's crazy. a 60% clip. And if you count that 2020 year you mentioned, that's 10 out of 15. So about two out of every three years he'd be clearing that mark. You probably just take it for that stat alone just because the numbers say to do it with Bill Self. But even if you didn't have that stat, if you just base it on the talent and the potential and what people think of this team, I think that would be an easy over for me. And I'm I'm looking through. I cannot remember the last time I remember KU having major, uh, you know, top five, top eight type expectations coming into the season and not living up to that. At least in the regular season, obviously there have been a couple years where they have high expectations. They get through the the regular season. Difficulties happen in the tournament, but as far as how they perform in the regular season. The only time I can ever remember a KU team under Bill Self coming up short when they're top five early in the season and not at least hanging around the top five by the end was his second year, which was the the 05 season, the 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 season or the senior years of Langford, Miles, Simeon. There were you know he didn't have his own players. That was Sasha Khan. That was the, that group. Russell Robinson, their group's freshman year. That was the last time I can remember them having top five expectations and not at least hanging around the top five by the end yeah I think you remember where that 2019 team was because they weren't you know they were definitely listed high up there because you had the Lawson's coming on but oh that's a good point no because they were ranked as you're right because they were ranked as high as number one Mm -hmm. before Udoka got hurt and that's I think the danger you look at this team you just hope that it's not a bad fit together and that you get everything you hoped for out yeah. of the grad transfers. And it is, as you were alluding to earlier, kind of the ultimate test of Bill Self does well with experienced teams, but we've never had the case study of what an experienced team looks like that's not experienced under 
KU, where they've been in from other schools. He's Adam Dravetta. I'm Derek Johnson. Jesse Newell will join us in about 20 minutes. Coming up next, let's talk a little KU football. This is RCST on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Depend on it. Jesse Newell of the Kansas City Star joins the show in about 15 minutes from right now. I'm Derek Johnson. Along with me is Adam Dravetta here on RCST. I want to get into edition of Derek's deep deliberations. Didn't have a chance to do this on Monday. Obviously didn't have a show. The Royals uh, played a doubleheader. Oh, by the way, I should probably mention this. We were supposed to be out at 430 today uh, due to Royals coverage, but their game has been postponed. So if you're looking for the Royals game tonight, it ain't happening. So you're stuck with us here instead. Um, but I want to talk. A I will. Piece. I want to say it, for for anybody disappointed, I will try to break Johnny Bench's home run record myself because mm. I know there may be people looking for that. Yes. Okay. So stick so, around for that in yeah. the five o'clock hour. I'll give that a shot. Okay. We'll see if Adam can do it. Uh, but right now, an edition of Derek's deep deliberations. KU Football Edition, Derek and Dravetta's Deep Deliberations. Nick Channel played a little bit in relief in the game against Baylor. I believe he logged 14 snaps in the game against the Bears. My first thought is that he should play more at the linebacker position. Even though it was such a limited ability, we saw him start at the end of last year. I think what you saw in the limited time might give you a little something extra in that linebacking unit. Yeah, I think if you look... The two biggest things I'm looking at are, one, he played in every game last year. He played in all nine games last year. This year, like you said, there's there's he's channel has some limited experience, but my entire focus this year, it was kind of, you know, beat South Dakota just, just because you don't want, even, even with the Lance Leipold era beginning, and no matter what happened that game, I'd still be optimistic because I'm a big fan of Lance Leipold. But you just don't want the stink of losing to a one double A team or FCS, whatever they're calling it. But I you wanted to beat that. But then the second thing was experience. That's what I care about. I care I this this season for me is learn everything you can possibly learn for twenty twenty two and beyond. And he is a sophomore, and I think a true sophomore, if I'm not mistaken, who had plenty of experience last year. So I yeah I have no problem with that I think it's not just talent wise not you know and he's not going to be the difference between a whole lot of wins but I just think he's shown an ability and if you have a guy who has shown some some ability yeah you put him out there because this whole season is light bulb learning what he has and get guys on film that you can evaluate next spring yeah and the linebacking unit as a whole has been problematic for KU so far this season Gavin Potter has really continued to struggle every week. You look at his pro football focus grades, and there's a bunch of red there, which isn't great. Nick Channel actually graded as the best linebacker on pro football focus against Baylor in the limited time. And I was kind of surprised, to be honest, when the first two deep came out of the year, because just in talking with different players, different coaches about the linebacking room, it seemed like Nick Channel got rave reviews. And you had players saying, yeah, he's like one of the smartest guys on the team. You had Brian Borland talking about how smart of a player he is. Ask Jalen Daniels, the guy he doesn't want to get hit by the most. He said Nick Channel, he's the hardest hitter on the team. You had all these guys gushing about him, and then he wasn't on the two deep, but he gets a little bit of playing time. Again, started at the end of last year, which you didn't want last year because you had a young guy starting as a former walk-on, which didn't represent the linebacker room great in terms of the lack of depth you had. But he's earned a scholarship now, and 
I think you are going to see him start to get more playing time at a position of need for KU that has struggled. They've really struggled in tackling. They've been in good positions, actually. The tackling numbers and the amount of missed tackles have just been really bad for KU. And if Nick Channel can help clean that up, then you got to get more playing time. And I think that will happen. I think as the season goes on, he'll be a guy who sees a little bit more playing time. Another guy who's going to get more playing time now, he already has the last couple weeks. Thought number two, Devin Neal is going to take off without Velton Gardner in the program anymore. And Devin Neal, obviously getting more carries week two, week three. Velton Gardner transferring away from the program. It's an obvious avenue for more carries for Devin Neal. Yeah, and it was kind of weird. I don't want to speculate too much, but I'm going to. You know, Lance Leipold, I believe his exact quote from the article I read was that Gardner just didn't show up. And yeah. that's how they learned he was transferring. And, you know, and you saw, and maybe, you know, maybe they had conversations with him behind, you know, in, in the locker room behind closed doors. But whatever they were telling Velton Gardner, Neal was getting the primary snaps uh, out of, at the running back position so far this year. And so I, you know, I'm I'm fine with that. You know, I do think it kind of continues. In ESPN, the article I read makes this point. It does kind of continue an interesting trend of K of a lot of KU running backs leaving the program, whether it be, uh, you know, Puka Williams had a, his own off the field troubles that we can't ignore. But there has been an interesting pattern of of KU running backs leaving. But you know, if Devin Neal. I guess if Leipold and the coaches felt Devin Neal was the guy that, that that should have been playing above Velton Gardner anyway, then it's a loss in the sense that you'd love to have somebody to take some hits away from Devin Neal because you don't want him to get too beat up. But if, if I had to pick one, I'd pick the one that they were going with anyway. Yeah, and it went from week one, Velton Gardner getting basically all the carries, Devin Neal having one. Week two against Coastal Carolina, Felton Gardner got, I think, 30 snaps, and Devin Neal got 28, and then week three, it progressed again. Devin Neal got 30 snaps, Felton Gardner got just 12. So, you were seeing a loss of playing time, but it is interesting because you're talking about a guy who, like, with Khalil Herbert, even though it was kind of weird how the whole thing went down, how he just basically left midweek heading into, I think, the fifth week of the season so he could preserve the red shirt, and that wasn't really received well by... I don't know, some people in the area, I'm sure some of the teammates didn't receive it well as well. You still sort of understood the the motivation there of, hey, I'm, I'm sitting behind Puka Williams. I'm not getting as many carries as, as maybe as good as I am. So I'm going to go somewhere where that can be maximized. Now, was he, refresh my memory, I'm sorry, but there was one that went on to have uh, to do really well. Yeah, I think Virginia, Virginia, Virginia Tech, Tech yeah. right? And then somebody else went to Northern Iowa. That was I, I can't remember the name of that kid. And yeah, I don't know exactly how I don't know exactly how he's doing, but Khalil Herbert went to an FBS school, yes. Power Five school, drafted this was really good and gave a six round draft pick. Yeah. So this one's a little different because it's not that like Khalil Herbert was having success for KU, just wasn't getting a ton of carries. Like when he was, he was still successful. With Elton Gardner, not the case. He was averaging under two yards per carry. Where are you gonna go that all of a sudden, you're the primary feature. Now, you can make the argument that maybe he just didn't fit into the offense because we've seen him have better years and more of an open spread attack when Brent Deerman was the offensive coordinator for KU over the past couple of years. Maybe that's the idea here, but certainly it looked like Devin Neal was vaulting well over him in playing time. And I think at this point, the only question is, will it be kind of a two-back system with Devin Neal, Torrey Lachlan, or even Amori Pesic-Hickson continuing to move up? Or 
is this an opportunity that, you know, beyond just Devin Neal getting more carries, I wonder if him just not having to look over his shoulder anymore and saying, there's a guy right behind me who's going to be splitting time with me is going to help him expand his game as a young freshman where you don't have to worry about, man, I should have broke this tackle or I, I read that hole wrong and now I'm overthinking it. Now I'm in my head, especially at a position where it is so instinct based. Absolutely. And, and that the, the point about not having somebody look over, looking over your shoulder to that's a big deal. And, and I, I'm, I'm kind of repeating myself here, but I feel exactly the same way about, uh, about Devin Neal that the experience you gather as much experience as you possibly can, because if, you know, if in three years or two years, you know, if if Devin Neal is learning something now that's going to help him, you know, I don't know how much of a difference Devin Neal will make wins and losses this year, but there could be something he learns this year that in the future is the difference between him having a really good game one week and him struggling one week. He may learn something that totally bring, that brings his game to a new level. All right, how about this one? Jason Bean, did you know this? If you go by QBR game to game, Jason Bean's best QBR game of the season was Saturday against Baylor. He had a 56.9, which was his best game somehow. I I don't know how that happened. Um, But my third thought is that Jason Bean is going to be the starting QB the rest of the way, barring injury, which that's definitely on the table when you have that offensive line. Yeah, that's that's the scary part. And I, I like Jason Bean a lot. I you know I think it was I even tweeted out after and and I, I'll say I was caught up in the moment, but I I tweeted out you know it actually feels like KU has a a, a real Division One yeah. quarterback. And they now I'll say this: they've had guys before that have left the program as quarterbacks and gone on to be really good Division One quarterbacks. So you know you, maybe it wasn't on them; it was it was on the coaches, but. I like what I'm seeing out of Bean. I see, at the very least, I see Big 12 athleticism, and that is a big, big deal. At the very least, he equals the athletic equals or surpasses the athleticism of the people chasing him. The problem is he's going to have a difficult time, and he's even on the record as saying, you know, he wants to use his legs to to pass rather than just escape and run. And his 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 legs are a huge weapon. But he's just not going to have the chance to learn to be a really good pocket passer if this offensive line continues playing the way it is. Yeah, and that's why if you could ask anything to improve over the course of the season, it'd have to be the offensive line just from a development perspective for all the other positions as well. But I wouldn't worry about I know they pulled Jason Bean at the end of the game. Lance Leipold spoke about this after the game. He was just taking too many hits, called it a day, wanted to get some game action for Jalen Daniels and Miles Kendrick, who you know, weren't overly impressive either in the game anyway. And that's a really good Baylor defense. I mean, they're top 15 by ESPN SP+. I think that Baylor team's going to end up surprising some people. It feels like Baylor's in this weird rotation where, you know, they'll, they'll have a year where they win 10 or 11 games, and then the next year they drop down to like two, three wins. Everybody's picking against them. They're picked to finish in the bottom three of the Big 12, and then the next year they're back up to eight or nine wins and then building toward another 10-win season. It feels like that's the way that Baylor's going. So not overly concerned, even though it was a rough performance for Jason Bean. Not all of it was obviously his fault. My fourth and final thought, special teams update. Um, We've been doing this all year long, just grading special teams plays. You get a plus one if KU special teams makes a big play. You get a minus one if KU makes a bad special teams play. So, for instance... 
Week one, they were plus two against South Dakota. You hit a long field goal, and you had a long kickoff return. It wasn't quite a touchdown, but over 80-yard kickoff return that counts. Week two, you were minus one. You gave up the pump block for a touchdown. Um, last week against Baylor, minus one as well. You gave up the 50-yard punt return. So even on the year. But here's what's odd, because I think actually most people would probably say, I feel like the special teams have been a negative to this team with some of those big plays, because those are what stick out in your mind. If you look at over the body of work, the totality of it, ESPN SP Plus has them ranked 27th in special teams ranking, and on Pro Football Focus, they're ranked 18th. That's interesting. I I, I will say I I don't know offhand, and I, I I'm a believer in analytics, but I also am always interested in exactly how these things are are like what what no data idea. do they put in? Uh, you know, I but in general, special teams when you are uh, a lesser opponent when you are outmatched athletically special teams is a huge opportunity i mean the the best you, usually when a program comes up that is not you know traditional power and they're not bringing in five star recruits all the time they're they usually have some i don't and i don't even i don't even want to say they're it's trick plays it's not like they have trick plays on special teams but they're very, very good on special teams. Special teams, to me, indicates uh, a level of discipline. that and, and you have guys who are able to, here's your job, here's your assignment, now you go do it. And then on top of that, if you break free for, for huge punt returns, it shows athleticism that is deeper than just your offensive defense. If you have guys on special teams that can make big plays, it means that your best athletes aren't just on the very front lines. And that's a good sign because it means that you, you have depth. He's Adam Dravetta. I'm Derek Johnson. Jesse Newell of the Kansas City Star joins us next. This is RCST. Welcome back in. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Derek Johnson, Adam Dravetta with me in studio. Joined now on a Wednesday, Jesse Newell of the Kansas City Star, KansasCity.com. Jesse, we were talking about the beginning of the show. I, I don't know if you saw this, but at, at WinBet in Las Vegas, they put out an over-under for win total um, for KU basketball and included the postseason. And it was set at 28.5. Thoughts on that win total? I, I don't know if you have a schedule or anything in front of you, but they play 31 regular season games plus the postseason. That feels like an immediate over to me, but I'm curious on your thoughts. 28 and a half. So, yeah, 31, potentially 33, 34, Big 12 tournament, potentially three or four games. And Yeah, um, yeah, I would think probably just off the top of your head, just based off of Bill Self's history and uh, KU's history of winning close games, you would think that uh, potentially an over. But, um, yeah, I could also speak to the Big 12 this year. You know, this is... Uh, I know Big 12's been tough in years past, but KU's got some competition at the top this year, man. Like, uh, Texas is probably going to be really good, and Baylor should be top 10-ish. And then, you know, even that second tier of teams, uh, you know, you can kind of throw in a hat. Texas Tech probably uh, should be on that fringe of being ranked. But then you've got the Oklahomas of the world who, you know, they bring in a really good coach in the offseason. Um, yeah, I, I, 
So, uh, yeah, first, first blush, you'd probably say, hey, KU normally wins. It's more than its fair share of close games. They probably go over that number, especially if you predict a, a long and silly tournament run. But we know how built up schedules, and we know uh, that the Big 12 is probably going to be tough this year. So I'd probably have to study a little bit more. But, um, yeah, that, that seems like a number that might be a little bit low. But if you probably study a little bit further, you might be backing off a little bit just based off of the scenario that KU's going to face. Well, I guess the way I looked at it is, you know, if you're 29-8, and eight, 37 games, meaning you made the Big 12 championship game, even if you lost it, and you made the Sweet 16. That, that feels doable to me in that situation. But, yeah, I mean, who knows with the Big 12? This could be potentially, what if it's one of those years where you have 12-6 and six or 13-5 and five to win the conference? So let's say they, they do end up under that number. Um, what would you view as, as being the biggest deterrent to KU getting that over this season? Well, I think for Kansas, I mean, there's no question Bill Self retooled the whole roster, you know, like he, after he talked about the USC game, he got recruited, they went out and they recruited and got a bunch of new guys in. I don't think the question is necessarily the talent level of those guys or uh, potentially, you know, individually what they can do. I think the question is what they can do together and how quickly that can all come together you know, we've seen individuals in the past under Bill Self, it, it sometimes takes a little while. It takes a while to learn the system. It takes a while to learn his preferences. Um, it, it just doesn't always come together immediately. I know I use the example a lot, but Kelly Oubre is a guy that you can kind of remember his freshman year. He, he started off pretty well and then really kind of went through a big-time slump um, a little bit later in the kind of the middle months and then came on late for Kansas and had a, a really good end to his season in, in what was a one-and-done year. But I think that sometimes talks about the volatility and – um, a lot of times, I think the off season we, we sort of maybe oversimplify things because everything looks great on paper for KU. You know, it looks great to bring in Remy Martin. It looks great to bring in Jalen Coleman Lands and Cam Martin and Joseph Yesifu, and you just figure all those pieces are going to play perfectly together. In reality, you know, they've got to find the right eight or nine guys to play well together and to figure out what gives them the highest ceiling and, and the best composition moving forward and and do all that while also by the way like i just said bill self-scheduled super tough um this isn't a team that can just kind of coast along through november and feel like it's going to do great in those november games because the the schedule is absolutely loaded and and you know there's going to be some high pressure games early on so that's probably the biggest thing for kansas is just gelling getting those pieces together having everybody on the same page and making sure everybody knows the playbook and knows how bill self likes to play and and doing that and, and winning those close games I just talked about because Bill Self does have a remarkable record in close games. You know, however Kansas gets it done, whatever that magic pixie dust is, I know he's a lot of it, but um, his team's grinding in those sorts of games is a lot of it, and playing in outfield house is some of it too. So um, kind of having that all come together and also just having the team to come together, I'd say those are probably the biggest concerns, especially early in the season when the schedule is still going to be tough. Talking with Jesse Newell of the Kansas City Star here. On Rock Chalk Sports Talk. All right, let's switch gears and talk a little football. Um, KU takes on Duke this Saturday, which, you know, seemed like coming into the year, one of KU's more winnable games outside of the South Dakota game. And then after week one, it seemed like that was true. They lost to Charlotte at home. But since then, Duke uh, beat up on an FCS school. So, I mean, take that with a grain of salt. And then last week was the creme de la creme where KU gets blown out by Baylor and Duke wins on the road against Northwestern, who has been a very competent Power 5 school, to say the least, over the last decade plus. Uh, so where are you at on this Duke-KU game now? Uh, 
<laughs> well, uh, first we'll give the the normal disclaimer, which is to to not listen <laughs> to me when it comes to your real money. Um, I don't know. I you've been you've been feeling it so far this year. Have you have you been three three and zero? So yeah, far. there you go. Three and zero so far against the spread. So, um, but but that's you know. Doesn't mean my next three pointer is going to go in. I, I actually love this spot for Kansas, and it's for the reasons that you just said. Um, I think a lot of people are believers in momentum, and hey, look, KU's down, and Duke is coming off a victory, all those sorts of things. And I just don't buy that as much. And I think the circumstances that you saw in this last game for these two teams um, could play out very differently when they play each other. Kansas played a very experienced Baylor team. Kind of got overwhelmed in the second half. That really exposed their weaknesses, um, which for KU was inexperience and a Baylor team that's pretty well drilled. You know, they weren't just handing the ball away. Um, you know, they did have two turnovers, but uh, in between those two turnovers, they were just marching down the field and doing whatever they wanted on the offensive line. Um, and Duke, <laughs> you know, they beat Northwestern, but if you look at that score, um, they went by a touchdown. Uh, Northwestern had five turnovers in that game, and, and Duke was a team that had forced no turnovers before then. And we talked so much about turnovers being the volatility of what college football is. Every turnover worth about five points is what the studies will tell us. So basically, Duke was handed a 25-point head start in that game and won it by seven at home. And they're a team, I know you talked to their radio guy earlier this year when you were doing their previews, uh, Derek, we talked so much about how Duke struggled last year with turnover margin, and it was almost fluky the level they turned over last year, but uh, they had three turnovers last week, too. And, and Kansas right now, they are in a position where, and you saw this against Coastal Carolina, you saw it for half against Baylor, KU wants to limit their own self-inflicted mistakes. They want to not have penalties. They want to not turn it over. They basically are, are kind of just hanging around there. You know, KU's at the stage where they're going to hang around, and if you want to hand them points, if you want to hand them turnovers, if you want to make some mistakes, He's going to be competitive in the fourth quarter. And I see this game, again, two sides of this one, because Kansas has won exactly one Power 5 road game in the last 12 years. I think that's correct. So, you know, the road is not always a good place for KU to play. Having said that, I think the trajectory of these two teams coming from last week, I think it's given Duke a few too many points in this matchup. So um, I'm actually looking for a competitive one in this one. I think Duke will hand KU some points and will have some turnovers. I think KU will hang in it. And like I said, whenever you get kind of the two trajectories and the perception of the two teams in two different directions right before a game, I think it's kind of ripe for the picking to, to go the other way of what the public's thinking. And uh, so, yeah, I'd like to get Jeff to stay within 7 to 10, and I think that would be a positive step, especially uh, after what happened in the second half last week. Well, counterpoint, 1-0 and in their last one on the road against ACC teams. So have you thought of that? <laughs> I did not. No, you're absolutely right. Uh, maybe that's just the, the elixir they needed. They just need to play ACC teams on the road, and uh, all will be saved. All will be uh, will be made well again. Even though, you know, I did cover that game when we were talking about ACC teams when KU last played at Duke, and uh, that one went the opposite direction. Yeah, I think with realignment, although it's kind of quieted down of late, I think the ACC should come out and say, if you win two in a row on the road against ACC opponents, we'll welcome you into the league. I think that would be that would be nice of uh, is it Jim Swafford the AD there? There it is. You, you've got uh, realignment solved, Derek. I think I think you know what to do now. Is just, that just tell everybody your, your idea? Yeah. Um, so I do want to play a little kiss, Mary kill with you. I mean, you don't have any college basketball polls out, so we can't do it with that. Um, but what is KU's most winnable game? So kiss, Mary kill the game against Duke on Saturday, the game against Texas Tech. Or senior day against West Virginia. Mm, okay, uh, I will kill West Virginia on mm. senior day. Uh, I think I think West Virginia is on a 
on a, on a different level. I will, I'll marry Duke. I, I think they got a shot. I, I really do. Um, again, Kansas, the, the worry I have is just historically, and, and maybe it's different under Lance Leipold. You've seen the guys, um, you know, KU's team mostly play hard this year, it seems like, uh, to the end. Um, but, but when things go bad on the road for Kansas, you know, in the last decade, uh, it tends to snowball on them. And so they need a good start. And if they don't get that good start, can they keep their heads up and continue to play and get themselves back into it? Again, that's that's something maybe this team can do, but historically it's something that Kansas teams don't do. And, and so then I guess I'll kiss the Texas Tech game. I mean, they seem to remain competitive with Texas Tech lately, and the good news is that game's at home kind of midseason. So uh, we'll see what happens with that one as well. Talking with Jesse Newell of the Kansas City Star here on RCST. What'd you make of, of Jason Bean on Saturday? Because by, by QPR, it actually was his best performance game so far the season against Baylor. Obviously, the raw stats would tell a different story, but any changing view with what occurred on Saturday against Baylor? Yeah, he's so difficult to evaluate right now um, just because of the pieces around him, uh, to be frank. And, you know, Coastal Carolina game, he really bailed the Jocks out. I mean, and that's, that's the great part for KU about having him in there is both your tackles can get beat on a play and they can go for a 48 yard touchdown run because Jason Bean just makes a play. You know, like he just goes off script and runs around guys and is super fast and goes and makes a play. And, um, he didn't have that magic, uh, last game against, uh, Baylor. You know, he just didn't, there was one play he almost broke free. If he had gotten one more block, he might have gotten um, all the way to the end zone. But it just it didn't quite happen for Kansas the way it did the week before. But yet, it's so weird to say this, Derek. I mean, and I'm not sure when I've said this last about a KU football team, probably back to the recent days. Don't you feel like quarterback's one of their best positions right now? Yeah. I, I do. Uh, I mean, I, I think that Jason Bean has played well. I think he will continue to get better as he learns the offense. But um, when I'm going back over film, most of the reads I see him do seem appropriate. Um, you know, maybe they're not throwing the deep ball as much as they want to, but some of that's protection. Some of that, you know, as Lance Leipold said during his press conference, is some miscommunication and then getting used to the offense. Um, and, uh, you know, Jalen Daniels looked really good in the Coastal Carolina game, too. So uh, that's not something often you can say. And I think it just gives your team some confidence, too. You saw against Coastal Carolina when he had the long touchdown run, KU pulled within six. All of a sudden, you know, the fans are there going wild, and KU has, uh, you know, KU's bench is kind of roaring. When you have a quarterback who can potentially be the best player on the field at any given moment, I think it gives you a little bit more hope than you do other, than you have otherwise. And, and KU hasn't had that for a long time. So um, can Jason be better? Yeah, he can be better. Um, can he do some things that uh, can help Kansas out? Yeah, sure. But I think right now it's, it's just difficult because he, he's not getting much help, and because he's not getting much help, it, it really limits um, what he can do out there and probably tampers down some of the stats that can be a little bit more impressive if he did have um, a little bit more blocking or a little bit better receiver play or a little bit more protection than he does right now. So I've been impressed with him. I think last week the numbers weren't great, but uh, it sure seemed like he uh, he was doing some good things out there but just didn't have the complete magic the, the, the week before, and I don't think that's something you can bank on uh, on a week-to-week basis. Yeah, I hadn't really even thought about the fact that, I mean, that's a really good point, the fact that the quarterback position has actually been one of the best for KU this year. And as we look forward with the offense, you know, I think it's seven or eight of the Big 12 teams right now are averaging giving up under 20 points per game. Like, this has somehow shifted into a defensive first league early in the season. Um as we move ahead, 
facing all those top defenses, obviously a lot's going to be asked on the offensive line to improve. I know you didn't really necessarily see it in terms of the, the performance on the scoreboard or the performance on the stats, but have you seen improvement from the offensive line and what they're doing with the wide zone scheme from one week to the next and, and from where they were week one so far to week three, or is it about the same? Well, let's, uh, let's answer this in two ways. Okay, so, so first off, um, one person who did great this past week was Earl Bostic, left tackle, and he had one of the lowest grades for pro football focus the previous week, really had struggles in pass protection, and I highlighted a play on Twitter where he completely blew a Baylor guy off the ball and marched him about 10 yards out of the way um, and, and he ended up as, like I said, Pro Football Focus's highest-graded offensive player for KU last week. So there are some positive signs when it comes to just individuals, and um, perhaps Bostic was motivated after a bad previous week. But whatever the case may be, we've heard so many good things about him and potentially what he is physically. To go from one week to the next and show up in a room like that, that's really good. As far as why I don't, I think, I think the staff's in a tricky spot right now. They have to try to run this because it's for their future, but... They're not good at it right now, and you still want to try to win games. You know what I mean? So they haven't gone as much to it lately, and they've been doing some different things. It seems like they're, I saw more cut blocks on the line um, you know, this past week than I had in weeks before. So it seems like they're trying to tinker. They're trying to, to move things around week to week, but you also have to have like the horizon in the view and, and make sure you're not losing the big-picture progress while trying to remain competitive in the short term. It's, it's, it's just a tricky balance right now. So. Um, are they getting better? You know, I, I mean, there's some things that would indicate to you that the, uh, that, that the, at least individuals are getting better and more comfortable with what they're doing. But um, this is a weird spot for Kansas because they're trying to obviously win games in the short term, but they're all obviously also trying to look at the long term and say, hey, we've got to continue to run these plays because that's what has to be good in 2022, 2023 for the Jacks to really turn this thing around. So it's a tricky place to be, but um, not crazy amount of progress last week, but I would say the play of Earl Bostic definitely deserves a mention. And if you continue that sort of thing, then hey, you could be in better shape for sure. He is Jesse Newell. You can check out all his work in the Kansas City Star and at KansasCity.com. Jesse, thank you so much for the time as always, and uh, talk to you next week. All right. Thanks, Eric. All right. That's Jesse Newell of the Kansas City Star joining us on Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. One hour down, two to go. KU has just one opponent for their exhibition games this year. And, you know, I'm I don't think anybody was really waiting on pins and needles or anything. Um, But they do actually have a technical second exhibition game now. Now, it won't actually be one that you can buy tickets to. At least, I don't believe so. I don't know if you've, like, this happens a lot in college basketball. It hasn't really been the case for KU, but it has for a lot of schools. And it's actually really fun when you get, like, I remember Villanova and Gonzaga played last year. These closed-door they're called like secret scrimmages, even though they're not actually secrets because everybody knows about it, including us right now. That's what KU is going to partake in this year for their other game. Gary Bedore reported that KU will be scrimmaging Tulsa at Tulsa in the scrimmage at the end of October that the NCAA allows instead of an exhibition game. And again, the other exhibition game will be on November 3rd against Emporia State. So that'll be the second technical exhibition. Late night in the fog's coming up in like a week from this upcoming Friday, which is really soon. Uh, But I'm all about the secret scrimmage because every year we hear with certain teams like, oh my gosh, Gonzaga just 
wiped the floor with Villanova in the secret scrimmage. So we have to count that in. And they're obviously a really good team when it's just like a scrimmage situation. And you'll hear about these guys who are like, wow, that guy had a breakout game in the secret scrimmage. And it's just kind of all like fodder. What I love is I, I would imagine, I don't know this to be true. Every coach I'm sure handles it his own way, but uh, it gives you, you know, preseason games give you an opportunity to see your guys against the other guys based purely on athleticism. You're not creating a game plan. You know, I know the way Bill, we all know by now that the way Bill Self runs things with his assistants is he gives a certain assistant the scout on a given upcoming opponent. That's not going to factor no. in. They're not creating game plans. You're just purely athletically seeing. And I think this is a much better way to do it. I love I love the idea of bringing in Division II players with a chance, you know, once or twice a year with a chance to play at Allen Fieldhouse. I think it was Roy Williams who started that. I love that Bill Self has continued that. I don't want to end that. I'm fine with once or twice playing in a poor state, Washburn, Fort, whatever, whoever, Pitt State, Fort A State. But I love this also because you're seeing athletically how do we match up? What do we look like when we're not running? You know, maybe we're running our sets, but not, you know, not as complex as, as normally they would. I love it. I mean, I think, you know, anytime you can go up against, you know, people, it's kind of funny because people really don't like these scrimmages at NFL training camps because they always inevitably end up in the whole team, every team fighting each other. <laughs> But I don't, I don't anticipate that happening. I think this is a really beneficial thing. I think this is a really cool idea. Um, and I think more and more, the, the question is, at what point are they going to find a way to make money off of it? Oh, yeah, no. They're going to start streaming it at some point, and it'll be like a, you have to pay 10 bucks they to watch it. They pay 10 bucks to watch and the People scrimmage. will do it. People oh, will yeah. do it. I mean, they'll have to do it for work. Um, that's your first job, your first task, I should say. You're going to have to find a way to sneak into the gym at Tulsa and report back about. Got it. Uh, who looks good? You know what the game looked like. Everything big, like big that. Fan of Tol- big yeah. fan of Tulsa as a whole. Okay, I like the, the nine one area, nine one eight. And if area you go to code. jail, we'll try to get you bailed out, but I can't promise anything. At least that will get you by the Monday. I'm sure they're friendly in the jails down there. <laughs> He's Adam Dravetta. I'm Derek Johnson. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017, 1320 KLW. Two hours down, one to go. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Derek Johnson on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Five o'clock hour. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Adam Trevetta with me. I'm Derek Johnson. Coming up in less than an hour, we'll have Hawk Talk for you coming up at six o'clock. It's on Wednesdays from now and moving forward. If you remember the first couple weeks of the year, it was on Tuesdays. That's because they played on Friday nights, but moving ahead, it's on Wednesday nights. So coming up in less than an hour, you'll have Hawk Talk with Lance Leipold and Brian Haney over at Johnny's Tavern. Uh, KU ended their boot camp early, mm-hmm. and we were talking in the break, and you had an interesting theory. So I'm gonna, just going to let you let you share your thoughts here. So let me go back and, and find the exact tweet. Who, who did we decide that it was Remy Martin and Kyle Cuff? Kyle Cuff. So Remy Martin and Kyle Cuff, this tweet, to give credit where it is due, Gary Bedore, and this tweet is also how we say, how we found out about the scrimmage against Tulsa that we just discussed at the end of the previous hour. Uh, the, uh, the quote, for, okay, so this quote I actually found from Matt Tate of the Lawrence Journal World that um, he, uh, Self's quote was, it was a tougher-than-usual boot camp. 
they're they basically they earned a couple days off, so they cut boot camp short. Mm-hmm. And and look, that's very very possible that that's why. However, Gary Bedore, and I want to be clear, this is us speculating. Bedore is just reporting here. No, that's my favorite game, reckless speculation. Yeah, Bedore is reporting that Remy Martin and Kyle Cuff were injured at one time or another during boot camp. And I just wonder if, again, it's very possible that Bill Self is just giving him a couple days off because, it, I mean, you know, boot camp, he even said the, the quote that Matt Tate had from Bill Self was that it was a tougher than usual boot camp, and boot camp is notoriously difficult. It's like we all remember uh, Yudoka Azubuki couldn't even make it through the whole thing his, his freshman year. So, but I do wonder if it's a couple walk-ons that, that have injury issues, are they still training <laughs> for the next two days? If it's not Remy Martin. They probably are, yeah. A guy who's probably going to be mm-hmm. starting this year who we know can play in Allen Fieldhouse, at least in a in a yellow and red uniform. <laughs> so, I mean, I, I don't know. I just, I wonder. And, and look, I trust, obviously, I mean, anybody who doesn't trust Bill Self is, is silly at this point. He, he's proven himself that, that most all, you know, he, he's worth, you know, there are times where you can criticism, but virtually, you know, most all of his decisions turn out to be the right decisions. He knows his team far better than I do. He's been around boot camp far, far more than I have. So far be it for me to, to, to think one way or the other, but it's, it's worth wondering, you know, if it's, if it's two other players that we've never heard of that, that have to sit out here. Are they well, are they training the next? Let's two not days? even say it's the walk-ons. If it's Mitch Lightfoot, yeah, you know, like yeah, they're probably still going. You know, they're just like ah, that's that's good old. He's got to put it on some, Go put it on some ice. <laughs> yeah, He's exactly. 110 years yeah. old. <laughs> he needs a walker for the rest of yeah. this thing. Uh, I I think that's a very valid question. Like. I, I kind of think that is the case, and, and again, like honestly, does it matter? Will it impact the games? No. Yeah, I can't. Not. I can't see as. I mean, I can't see the. No, we're not going to look back. KU loses in the Elite Eight, and it's like, oh, are yeah, you there was two me? days of, of, of <laughs> that was training, and that right? was the difference. No, that's no. not going to be the problem. No, but I do. I do think that probably is what happened, and I think the report they said Remy Martin is probably going to be back by the time they get to the exhibition games. Okay, I, I was not able, so I actually... Right, I'm sorry, late night in the fog. I, I don't... Okay, and those those are before the, the exhibition Yeah, late game. night yeah. in the fog is soon. So I, I wouldn't think that impacts the season at all. Um, with Kyle Cuff, I want to say that Cuff might have had... No, I'm thinking I'm thinking of the other young guard they, they brought in. Bobby Pettiford was the one who suffered the injury uh, in the offseason. I don't know. I don't know how much Kyle Cuff's going to play, but with Remy Martin specifically, like I could see it if if Cuff had the injury first, and then Remy Martin had the injury, and it was like a, a, an ankle sprain where you're like, uh oh, what happened here? Yeah. And it looked worse than it was, and and now you're like, okay, it's just a normal ankle sprain. It'll be out a couple of weeks. It was just on high alert. Like let's shut this down. There's there's no point in getting anybody injured, anything bad, especially Remy Martin because. I mean, there's a case to be made. Who is the best player on this team? Who knows? Could be David McCormick, Ochag Baji. Could be Remy Martin. Could be a, a big step from a guy like Christian Brown. I don't know. But with Remy Martin, he is the one guy you brought in to be, him and Joe Yesifu, yeah. guys you brought in to be different than last year, both in terms of the athleticism, the quickness he had at the point guard position, and 
all the complaints we had about last year's team was that you were missing somebody to create for the offense, yes. both in the half-court setting when the shot clock's winding down to get you a bucket, but also to create for other players because Ochai and Christian Brown are more so set shooters. Remy, Remy Martin was... I don't know that Bill Self was thinking exclusively about Remy Martin when he said in the post game against USC last March when they got smoked by the Trojans. I don't know if he was thinking exclusively about Remy Martin when he said we need to get more athletic. And but, when he says that, he's not necessarily but, referring to big seven footer. He's referring to speed at the exactly. Yeah, yeah, he's in quickness. Mm-hmm. And Remy Martin was an answer. Remy Martin and Joseph Yesifu who I'm going to pronounce a bunch of different ways. Over I the course still don't of the think season. we have total clarity on how to pronounce it. But those were the answers to that question that he left us with at the end of last season. And I, yeah, I, I ultimately think if the if the decision was to shut it down, it was based on that. Then I think it's more self looking at it and going, "What is this worth?" Versus what are these players? What is the, what is the player's health worth long term? And I think ultimately he's thinking, all right, he's he's probably seen. Look, one thing we know about Bill Self is he's not going to stop until he sees what he wants to see. He has very specific ideas of what he wants to see out of his team, and so I think when you combine a couple of injuries, particularly one to Remy Martin, with Bill Self probably seeing a lot of what he wants to see. Uh, with the fact that he's got a very experienced team anyway, I think ultimately, yeah, I, I, I look, I'm not going to say he's lying because I just think in general coaches give information, they, they keep certain information to themselves strategically, and I'm okay with that. Um, but I do think that I, I, I can't sit here and pretend that, that, Remy Martin's yeah. and Cuff's injuries have nothing to do with this decision. Yeah, and with how important Martin is, as we were just discussing, that probably did play into it, but who knows? Maybe it's the glass half full view, which is like, wow, they accomplished everything we thought they were going to do and more, and Ochai coming back and, and implementing, I don't know, this kind of NBA view of things yeah. into the locker room and they were smacking the their domes room. off the backboard during <laughs> right, one of the yeah. during one of the the <laughs> drills that KU Athletics tweeted out. So I don't know. Maybe it was just hey, they did so well that they earned the extra. That, days I mean, that's off, possible. But. And and you know, self again, all of this, everything that that discussed comes with the caveat that we understand that self knows far more about his team and about the game than we do yeah so yep that's worth noting yeah so uh like i said i don't think it's going to really impact things just kind of funny if that is what ended up happening out of that and if that is the case put it this way if this team wins a national Uh championship that's going to be that note will come out in the book about it but also take note future ku basketball players you know Oh, my hammy hurts. Yeah, exactly. You know? Hey, start limping. <laughs> hey, if you guys find the star of the team, find whoever you think is mm-hmm. going to be the stud of that team and go, hey, man, hey, man, it's Tuesday. This is our second week of boot camp. Yeah. I don't want to get up at 5 a.m. tomorrow. Start limping a little bit. Start exactly. limping a little bit. It's a, it's a perfect idea. All right, he's Adam Dravetta. I'm Derek Johnson. We'll play the rest of that Lance Leipold audio for you on the other side. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Depend on it.